Good morning. How are, how are you? Good. It's good to be back. When I f- did my little video back when my hair was long, uh, before I got a real job here at All Saints, <laughs> I told you that we'd be looking at the Mothers of Christ during Advent, and uh, I pivoted on that. I hope, hope you didn't... Uh, long for that too much. Maybe, uh, I hope I'm never back here as interim again, but sometime I'll get the chance to do that. Uh, I wanted not to do a, uh, a, a full 10 months on, on just biblical narrative. Uh, so I decided to just put three weeks of other <laughs> passage types, other genres in there. And this one is a bit of a cheat because it's at the beginning of the Gospel of John, but it's mostly what we would call didactic, uh, instructional, there's a little tiny bit of narrative, so we'll call this our transition passage, and then we'll look at uh, a couple others. But first, let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for your mercies as we ask all the time. We pray that you would be our instructor, for flesh and blood do not reveal the truth of the person and work of Christ, but only the Father in heaven who makes him known. So there's no one here who can speak words that make things clear, that, uh, and there's no heart here that can receive clear words unless the Spirit of God dwells in this room and in these hearts and mine and, and all of ours, and we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. From John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because He was before me. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. Amen. Well, I grew up, uh, as, as you know, in an Irish family with all the particular dysfunctions of the Celts. And uh, we used to argue a lot. The challenging part was that we were all super good at it. And, uh, and everyone always won. That was, the, that was uh, pretty much the takeaway after Thanksgiving meals. But the real challenge is something that the rising generation doesn't know. When I was young, you had to make up your own stuff in an argument. 
You were on your own. You had to make up stuff on the fly. Now you can go online and use stuff other people made up. And that really makes it a lot easier. In fact, Jimmy Wales, uh, the founder of Wikipedia, said, Imagine a world in which every single person on the planet has free access to the sum of all human knowledge. Well, that's worked out well, hasn't it? (laughs) It's really hard to know things. It's hard to understand. So I'm thankful that um, when Jesus came, he explained the most important things to us. And that's what I want to talk about today is the Advent of explanation. This passage has a lot of uh, rich, deep uh, theology in it. This sermon might have some points that seem kind of technical, especially after the long week that I've had that's taken me from Alaska to Seattle and Boise and now back to Alaska today. Um, I'm afraid you'll get lost in that, so I'm just going to give you the whole message right here. And you can just write it down. And whenever you get lost, just go back to these notes and say, that must be what he's saying. And here it is. Of course God would come. And of course we could know him if we want to. Of course God would come. And of course we could know him if we want to. Let's look at the advent of meaning, the advent of our confusion, and the advent of Christ's explanation In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And in Him was life, and that life was the light of men. Now John, who is one of the writers of the New Testament, is constantly saying things that amaze us, but we don't understand. It's like, wow, that's beautiful. Um, what What does it mean? So moving his prose is, but, but within it, there's often a rather simple message. And this message is that there was always a way to understand that God, by his very nature, has relationship and meaning bound together. We get that from the idea that, that there is God And there is God with God, and this God that's with God is Logos. Now, that is an ancient philosophical category for the Greeks. The Logos meant the ordering principle of the universe. It was the sort of philosophical physics of their day. It's what made things noble and gave order and propriety and constancy to the world the way it was. So John is sort of picking up um, that strain of ancient thought, but then he does something profound and radical with it. He makes it a person. The great offense to the Greek philosopher was that this Logos would have a name and a face, that he would be one born who could live among us. And so what he's telling us as he reflects this language that you might recognize from the very beginning of the Bible, in the beginning, was that from the beginning, even before the beginning, this ordering principle, this reality, this meaning was bound and grounded in God himself. And not simply 
a unified, undifferentiated divine being, but a God who is in relationship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in perfect union from time before time and time after time. I told you it would get technical, so there you have it. Go back to your note. But here's what I want us to to understand. Meaning and relationship are at the very foundation of all that's real. If we could somehow pull back the material universe, if we could somehow go back to the origins of everything, if we could peek behind the curtain, if you will, we would see relationship and communion and understanding. It's embedded in the created order. We can see that. He was in the beginning. All things were made through him. That is through the word. That is through the Christ. He's the agent of creation. That is to say, if you'll please track with me, that this God who is in relationship and has eternal and profound and perfect meaning, he actually brought creation right through himself and embedded it with that same reality, that same potential to understand. We live in a world that has uh, been filled with a kind of intellectual dry rot that the, the only thing we can really be sure of is that we can't be sure of anything, which of course is a contradiction because I'm not sure that we can't be sure of everything or anything. But when we're told that in the beginning was the Logos, this Logos was a divine person, and that everything you see, everything in this room, everyone together, all the whole creation outside that you drove through and by and saw and were impressed with this morning, everything came through him. He was the agent of it all. Well, you have um, what I want us to understand as the, the advent of meaning. The origin, maybe, is a better word of meaning. C.S. Lewis said that he believes Christianity the way he believes in the sun. Not only because he sees it, but because he sees everything else by it. And of course, Christianity and the story of Christ and the person of Jesus is the great interpretive key to all things. He explains history human nature. He explains our longings. His life was the light of men. Understanding who he is is to understand who we are. There's a, one of my favorite passages in uh, the book uh, in, the, in the Hebrew Scriptures is a book of, called Ecclesiastes, which is great reading, especially gives someone who's never read any of the Bible Ecclesiastes. I gave that to a man in, in that visited our church about 20 years ago, and it led him to Christ. He said, I, didn't, I can't believe that's in there, and it's true to my experience, and that was the entry point. But Ecclesiastes says this, God put eternity into the hearts, into man's hearts, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to the end. Well, there it is. That's why we have this... this uh, eternal longing for something greater than us because this life is the light of men. It's in us. We're born as image bearers to embrace the whole cosmos and everything beyond it, which of course is God himself. 
What I want us to see is that this meaning is the origin of the story before we move on to the advent of our confusion. Theologians um, for centuries have uh, contemplated the language of the New Testament and concluded that there was um, a story told between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit from before the foundation of the world that turned into creation and the fall and the redemption of humanity. You can hear this in some of Jesus' language. He speaks um, of the authority to lay down his life and to take it up again was given to him by the Father. He says, here I am, it is written about me, I delight to do your will. Um, Another passage in the Bible says, God brought him back from the dead according to the blood of the eternal covenant. That there's this divine, if you will, storytelling counsel that determined to make heavens and earth and then to make it God's dwelling place with his creatures. So there's this advent of meaning and then there's the beginning of the story. There's the story of humanity. God, in his counsel, made the heavens and the earth. He said everything was good. He started his story and he walked in the garden with his people. And that's exactly what's going to happen again at the end. Because God's story, the advent of meaning, really the advent of the story, will not be interrupted by our confusion. Take a look at that that, um, verse 5. And it's really uh, the beginning of all the darkness and confusion. The light shines in darkness. He's speaking of the created order. He's speaking of now before the coming of Christ. Light shines in the darkness, but the darkness, some translations mistakenly say, has not understood it. That's true. But really, they've not overcome it. The darkness has not overcome the the light of the world. The new story... The counter-narrative of who God is and what the world is cannot overcome the real story. The advent of confusion cannot dissolve totally our understanding. Our granddaughter, Brianna, was spinning in our kitchen. We listen to uh, songs and we dance. And it's uh, the girls are cute. Baba, not so cute when he dances. But we went around and around and around and Brianna got very dizzy and she fell down and she sat on the floor and she looked up at the ceiling and she said, Nana, Nana, look at the house. It's moving. See, in her little mind, she thought thought that that, uh, if the house seemed to be moving to her, it seemed to be moving to everybody. And that's the way we think of our broken, confused fragmented world. Dear God, look at the world. How confused and broken and tumultuous it is. And God stands in his perfect divine equilibrium and he's like, no, it's not that way. This counter narrative that began with those infamous words of the serpent, did God really say? Did God really say that? Did God really say that or does he just not want you to be like him? And then there were Egypt's idols, and then there was Baal and Asherah, gods of the 
Old Testament. In our age, there's materialism and science. Driving up from the, from the airport, there's this big, beautiful house overlooking Lake Union right by the highway on I-5. And in five-foot-tall letters, it says, Science is God. Happy Advent from Seattle. Maybe we're just in a simulation. You know, there's, there's tenured academics in reputable institutions that believe we're in a simulation. Like they watch The Matrix one too many times. Or we might be anyway. But, but those counter-narratives are easy to point to. What are your counter-narratives about whether or not God is good? Whether or not He has dominion over your own wayward heart or your broken family or your failing business or your, or your lack of health. We're always telling ourselves stories. We love us some stories about why we are excused in our bitterness or why our sin isn't our fault or why we have contempt for another or why we spend all our money on ourselves, or why... Our family schedule, of course, grids to our desires and dreams all the time. We, we have a thousand stories. There's a thousand counter-narratives. And that's why God sent a man. In fact, God sent a lot of prophets. But, but this last prophet, John, was sent into the confusion of the counter-narrative to remind us of the story. And, and John, as the culmination of, uh, of the Hebrew prophets... He's an emblem for everyone that came before him that told this story, that stood in the noise and the tempest and the disruption and the spinning house and all of our sinful dizziness and just reminded us that the maker of heaven and earth, Yahweh is his name. He is steadfast and faithful and his love endures forever. And John came at the very penultimate moment when the Son of God was going to come And he said, he will be here. I am a witness. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He wasn't the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. That's what God has been doing all along. He sent Moses. He sent um, Abraham before that. As we saw, he sent Joseph. What about David? What about Solomon? What about Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and Habakkuk and Zephaniah and Haggai and Zechariah? God has, through the ages, spoken to us. No prophet, Peter said, ever spoke on his own but was carried along by the Holy Spirit. He's not left you without a witness. He's not left you without an orientation to who he is. And then the question becomes, of course it becomes, who will we believe? With the advent of confusion, we're now left really where Adam and Eve were left. Do we believe the serpent? Do we believe the story of the world? Or do we believe the prophets? I am totally fine confounding the world and rejecting its wisdom to believe the prophets. 
the crazier the world gets, the more confident I become in my decision to follow the word of God. I, uh, I'll say this. I, I said this last year at, at uh, Trinity, and somebody put on Facebook that it's good to go to a church. They were a member. Good to go to a church where the pastor doesn't believe in science. So we, uh, yeah, we, someone had to have a visit with her. I, I was traveling, so it wasn't me. But, but this is what I said. Um, we've spent the last 300 years... We've spent the last 300 years asking some of the brightest people on the planet to explain everything without mentioning God. And then we gave them these hundreds of thousands of people over centuries. Then we gave them hundreds of billions of dollars to do that. And so let me remind us that we should not at all be surprised if all those smart people over all those centuries with all that money wrote some stories that seem pretty compelling. But they just lead to confusion. That's what I said, that, and I hate science. So if you're a science teacher, my apologies. I don't hate you, I just hate what you do. I don't hate science, but that's not science. That's actually philosophy, but I won't get lost in that. Um, what, what I want us to see is that there is a story. The story will be told. That story that was the advent of meaning that became the fountain of the story that was then confused with the advent of that one question, did God really say? Well, God has been telling his story all along. He's been shouting into the tempest, He sometimes whispered into the tempest. He's been telling the story. James Orr, a theologian from about 100 years ago, wouldn't really agree with a lot of what he says, but this is what he said. Uh, And I find it helpful. The Koran is a miscellany of disjointed pieces out of which it is impossible to extract any order, progress, or arrangement. 114 surahs or chapters of which it's composed are arranged uh, chiefly according to their length. And he goes on to say... um, The Zoroastrian or Buddhist scriptures are the same. But but then he says, from Genesis to Revelation, we feel that this book is in a real sense of unity. It has one connected story to tell from beginning to end. That's your book. That's your story. Your, Your whole life will be who do you believe. That's the whole life. You can believe the world or yourself, or your God. Choose wisely. And then the advent of explanation has come to help you. Verse 9 is a, is a transition of um, the coming light, the true light which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. And then look at the next verse. He was in the world. It just brings us right to that moment of the manifestation of the Son of God in the person of Jesus Christ. The light was coming through John, through the prophets beforehand. The sun was rising, if you will, and then he came into the world. And I want us to talk about that. Here's how 
he explains. Here's how he explains everything to us. First of all, by becoming one of us. This is the most uh, profound and complex, glorious mystery in all of creation. It's the most significant event along with the death and resurrection of Christ in the history of humanity. And I am not going to explain it to you. I learned a lot of words about it, and I do have some understanding. It's not, it's not beyond, there's not, like there are no handholds to it. But the union of the, of the persons of Jesus and, the, and his natures, or excuse me, his, his human natures, is, is a mystery that is beyond our comprehension and indeed will be one of the glories that we'll meditate on forever and ever. Delighted to be both amazed and perplexed by the union of, of humanity and divinity in the person of Christ. But, but what he's really explaining to us and something that we can grasp and is about my message today, which is, of course, he would become one of us, and of course we can know him if we want to, is that God, before the beginning of the world, wanted so deeply to be with us, wanted so profoundly to have our fellowship that he might share his blessed communion with us, that once the world was made and according to his purpose fell, He was bound by his love and intent and commitment to his own story for his own glory and your good that he would become one of you and one of me. That not even that boundless chasm between God and humanity was too great to be breached by the love and the power and the finesse and the genius and the eternal faithfulness of God. Understand this. Of course he would come. He would take on, an important word, sarks, flesh. He doesn't say mankind or humanity. He doesn't say soma. He very concretely speaks of God taking on the bones and the bodies and the sinews of humanity. Fully and completely like one of us. He became one of us. Just like us. In great condescension so that later he could say, If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. In other words, he made it so that God has a face and a name. Now, there's something called face blindness. Do you know about this? It's actually a a medical, neurological condition where you can't really recognize faces. This is different than, like, not remembering people's names. This is a serious condition. I've tried to use this to explain why I forget people's names that I, like, pastored for 20 years, but um, it didn't work. But, But there is... There is a a reason that God came so that we might know who he looks like, who he is, what his name is, that we might see his face. 
he became one of us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory as the of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now there's a lot there. I want us to see, first of all, um, that He, of course, became one of us because it was the whole momentum of creation and redemption. Once the story was started in the eternal fellowship and counsel of God, it was, it was in, a, in a manner of speaking, inevitable that he would chase us all the way from the garden, all the way to Ur of the Chaldeans, all the way to the promised land, all the way to Egypt, all the way to the desert, all the way to Babylon and Assyria, and all the way back to Jerusalem where we would find Jesus, of course, in his father's house. What else would God do except run forever after his children? And if they missed him and misunderstood him, if they needed him in the person of his son to go find them in a fashion and a way that not only could they recognize, and as John later on says, touch and feel, but also in a way that he could then absorb all that belonged to them all the punishment and shame so that that counsel that was at the beginning of the world might also be at the end of the world realized. And what would he do when he came here? This is where the story makes such perfect sense once we get over the fact that God became a human being. Um, Why would he become a human being? Well, we're told that he tabernacled, he dwelt among us, he lived here. That's the word that uh, it means to, to pitch a tent. It's the tabernacle of the, used in the, in the Greek version of the Hebrew Bible. It's the tabernacle where, where the temple was, where God's people met him. You see that Jesus came, Jesus came to recreate what was lost. What does the very first beginning of the story tell us except that God walked along in the garden with Adam and Eve and so God came and made a new place to walk along with us. He dwelt among us. Of course he became one of us, and of course he would live here with us. Of course he would walk our streets, drink our water, eat our food, work with our materials, sit in our synagogues, go to our temple. Of course he would live with us. This is what God always intended. When he said it was very good and then it wasn't, he was committed to making it very good again. And so he came and lived among us in this fleeting moment, this picture, this testimony that indeed I will remake. But that remaking, that redoing, not only to become one of us and live with us, But the other thing we learn that he explains to us is that he made everything right. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The fullness of God. What is the fullness of God? It's the language that Paul uses throughout Scripture. 
one of the uh, other writers of the New Testament? Well, it means the, the, the full effulgence, the complete comprehensive manifestation of who God is. And where do we see that? Where is that most brilliantly displayed except in the judgment and grace of God in the person of Jesus Christ? So here's where the story leads us to. Ultimately, this is the great explanation. We're now in the, in the advent of the explanation. I'm sorry I didn't note that when we made it to this final point. But, but the, the explanation is that, of course, yes, God came as one of us so that we might understand that we could always understand. And he came to live with us so we might understand that he always intended to have the fullest measure of fellowship with his people. And then grace upon grace and the fullness of God satisfied the law of Moses and God paid and made it right for it to be this way. And at the very end of this passage is the idea that gave us the title of the message. We're told that Jesus made him known. That, that Jesus, it's the word we get exegesis from. You know, I've been doing some exegesis now, or hopefully I did it this week, but now I'm preaching about the exegesis that I did. When you draw out of the text what it means, and, and what we're being told in this glorious passage is that this is what Jesus does, he explains God. And if you're exploring Christianity, here's what he wants you to know about God. If you are a Christian, here's what he wants to remind you about God. That he was so committed that your fellowship and your enjoyment of his glory for his own glory was so absolute and infinite and eternal that though you and I separated ourselves from him by an abyss of creator and creature and also sinner and holy, that even that didn't keep him, but of course he came. Of course he came to find you as you, to walk among us so that he might live with you, that he might have fellowship with you, that he might dine with you, which we'll do in a moment. And when we ask how that can be, when we ask what could make the world stop spinning, what could settle this tempest, what could fix this brokenness or heal this woundedness, it's the fullness of God's grace upon grace. Truth and grace in the person and work of Jesus Christ. God came to us. That's what he's done. So what I want you to remember is that you know everything you need to know about God if you just look at Jesus. If you just listen to him speak tender words and harsh words. If you watch him heal and sometimes watch him walk past people who need to be healed. If you watch him ride into Jerusalem and then get rejected by his people and then die on a cross and rise again, you are seeing from beginning to end 
Jesus explaining God to you. He is, as it were, our divine Rosetta Stone that explains everything to us. You've been told the story in the person of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for your mercies. I ask you please to, um, Lord Jesus, please show us the Father. That will be enough for us, your disciples said. And you answered them, Do you still not understand? If you have seen me, you said, you have seen the Father. Blessed is the name of the Lord our God, the maker of heaven and earth, and Jesus Christ, his only Son. Amen.